All right, ladies and gentlemen, in association with my buddy Earl Skakel, this is Chad Zumach. This is the Bad Guys Volume 7. And ladies and gentlemen, we've been trying to get this guy on for a long time. When we put together this series, he was consistently in our top three. It's happening. Earl, you do the intro, my friend. I mean, I don't know uh, if we have enough time for the intro, let alone the podcast. Uh, This is a man who uh, I started my own podcast on just to interview him. And here we are with our dual sit down Zumach, inappropriate Earl podcast, getting the man whose first two movies were The Terminator and the greatest Stallone movie of all time, Cobra. It was also in the movie Lionheart with Jean-Claude Van Damme. And let's not forget his starring role in a New York State lottery commercial. I now present to you guys the one, the only, the night slasher, Brian E. Thompson in the house. Thank you, Earl. Thank you, Chad. Can we get into this, uh, this New York lottery commercial right out of the gates? Let's talk about this. I think that's what everyone wants to know. What does Earl know that I don't? <laughs> uh, well, that I was. Uh, watching, go ahead. No, I was watching TV one night. I had the uh, New York cable station WOR on, and they show this incredibly good-looking man jogging through the streets of New York. And I looked at him, and I'm like, Jesus, that's the Night Slasher. He's alive. Tell us about it, Mr. Thompson. This is actually a really fun story about how you never know the linkage, you know, the six degrees of separation, how jobs actually come about, how a, how a career gets uh, funded. <laughs> and uh, I was on my way home from the beach. I'd been paddle surfing and my agent called and said, they want to see you for this lottery commercial. I said, I got it. I'm in a tank top. I, I'm on my way to play golf. And you guys know who Patrick Warburton is, right? Yes. Well, Patrick and I, Patrick's hard to get around to golf with because he's like been doing two series like for the past 20 years simultaneously. And so I had, you know, it was a special day because I, Patrick and I are buddies and uh, I didn't want to miss my round of golf with Patrick. And you know how commercials auditions, they're a, they're a, they're a lottery and they're in and um, the, uh, in and um, of themselves. It's just a numbers game. You got to go to a lot of auditions and I've not, I, I'm not particularly commercial. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that McDonald's isn't going to put me behind their counter uh, trying to sell somebody <laughs> French fries. Just got that. Just get that out of the way. Uh, <laughs> so I wasn't terribly interested in going. And I said to my agent, I said, well, I'll go if they can see me right now. Because I was on the 405. need to go to Santa Monica. I had to get to... Brookside at where the Rose Bowl is to golf with Patrick. And she called back. She said, I'll see you right now. I said, fine. So I, I walk in there and the guy's looking at me and he's like, man, we need to get you in a tight tank top. And he uh, pulls out a black t-shirt. We do the whatever. I, 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 he had me, uh, he had asked me to scream like a little girl. I told him that wasn't something that I'd practice that much. <laughs> But I'd give it a shot. So <laughs> anyway, the next day they called and they offered the job and they didn't offer very much. And so I um, and they had kind of played their cards. We had learned through the grapevine that they had been searching for this guy for a month, that it worked on Monday. This was a Friday. And that it was the New York lottery commercial. And I, I said to my agent, I, I'd like Leanne, how can the New York lotteries tell us that they don't have any money? <laughs> this is not, you know, really. I mean, this is like, you're talking to the, to the bank themselves. And I said, this is what I want. And she's like, what? They're never going to agree to that. And I'm like, uh, then I'm never going to do the commercial. This, this isn't a career making move. This is all about, you know, this is all about funding a career. And I said, Leanne, be super nice about it. Just 
to tell them this is and and that we can do it for this and and she was a bit nervous and said and do not call them back there's something what i call a 24-hour bake period where people initially like if you you know look at what does that guy think he's made of gold and so she did exactly as was asked and like 23 and a half hours later on the saturday they called and offered us the job there it is. And so we did the job and it's, which was a, it was kind of a bucket list check mark because I'd always wanted to work in New York. Yeah. <laughs> I got to go see a Broadway play every night. They put me up in a suite. It was, it was, it was very, very, very pampered. And, uh, on the last day, uh, one of the, the people said to me, I guess you're tired of hearing how you got this job. I'm like, huh? So, well, how you got this job? And I said, well, well, yeah, I went to audition in Santa Monica. I said, no, no, Ralph's wife. I said, what does is, what is Ralph's wife have to do with it? <laughs> like, she said that on Wednesday, Ralph's wife was watching Californication and said to Ralph, hey, don't you need a guy like that? It was the very premiere of this episode of Californication I had done. And she had seen that. And, and the, this... And so that's how they ended up calling me in uh, to the audition. And, and then there's a whole other story about how I got the job in Californication, which is, which is another six degrees of separation story. So it's, it's amazing how these things link together. But the, uh, that thing ran for three years. And every quarter, it was like winning the lottery. This check, because they, they pay quarterly for regional commercials. And it was the, absolutely the best Paying commercial I've done in my entire career. Well, you have a good body of work. You've been active since 83. Like, how did you fall into this? Like, how did this all come together? Because, you know, I'm obviously going through my mad research team at Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, well, let's, I, I think act, acting found me. I was asking a, a friend if he needed a ride home from school, Paul Delashaw, who's actually now a pastor he was very involved in the drama department. And he said, no, I'm trying out for the play. Oh, Brian, there's a part, you'd be great for it. I, I was 17 years old, this was 1977. And he talked me into trying out for the school play, something I hadn't really thought about. And I got the part of this Russian ballet instructor in a classic comedy called You Can't Take It With You. And talk about wheels spinning, uh, I was, completely enamored with the process. I had more fun than anything I'd ever done in my entire life, bar nothing. And I went to college. I, I walked onto the, the Central Washington University football team and I played football the fall of 77. And then uh, winter quarter, the very first day, I saw an audition notice for Guys and Dolls. And they said, if you didn't know a song, you could sing Happy Birthday. So I really haven't stopped acting since then. I, I, I had a, was getting a music degree. I, I had a scholarship to uh, play the piano, <laughs> but there was, there, was a, there was a guy my age who was also a freshman who was in the music major who played the piano. And I knew that if I practiced eight hours a day for four years, that I would never be as good as he was. As in, you know, you know there's gifted and then there's wannabes. And so I, I ended up getting a degree in business, but I never left the drama department. I had plays and I, I, I'd hear a, a monologue and I liked the text. I would memorize it. It wouldn't leave me alone until I had it memorized. And then I asked, while my, uh, I had done a lot of heavy construction work to pay for college in the summers and that company had offered me a job when I got out of school uh, for starting job with benefits, $50,000 in Portland, Oregon. And it was really romantic work building docks, bridges, and piers on the Columbia River. I mean, we, we did amazing stuff, big stuff, you know, gargantuan things. And there was that romantic side of, you know, getting up at the crack of dawn and being in a skiff as the sun comes up, going out to the barge. It's a very, uh, it's a very manly occupation. And <laughs> I 
it was as if that that future was completely laid out for me. And uh, I didn't want to stop acting, but it, when you're going to school in Ellensburg, Washington, how are you going to make, how, how are you going to support yourself? So I, I secretly wrote letters to the Screen Actors Guild and Actors Equity Union asking them to recommend schools. They didn't recommend schools. They recommended a book called Acting Professionally by Dr. Robert Cohen, which is still a, a very excellent book to read on the subject. And uh, anyway, he was a head of a department and I auditioned for his graduate acting program and got a master's of fine arts. I ended up getting a full ride to the University of California, Irvine, where we did nothing but act, sang and dance 12 hours a day, seven days a week for three years. And then um, the business management degree really locked in my concept uh, that acting is a business. Well, what are the barriers to the market? To me, barriers to the market were being able to survive an audition. I wanted to, I wanted to act so much that when I went to the audition, this dragon of nerves would decimate me. And how do you get good at fighting dragons? Well, you fight a lot of dragons. So. If I could sneak off, skip a class, I would sneak up to Hollywood and go audition for stuff that I had no chance of getting or I didn't think I had a chance of getting. And the most amazing seamless transition from school to professional work, a, a year before I finished, I'm leaving a lot of the story out, it's pretty good, but um, a year before I finished college, I got an agent, I got my SAG card, I had five SAG jobs. And by the time I graduated, almost to the penny, I had made $50,000 my last year in college, which was the same amount of money. You were going to get from the other job. Yeah. And then a year out of college, I got this audition for this crazy part called The Night Slasher with uh, the number one box office star in the world at the time, Sylvester Stallone. And it was at six auditions followed by a seventh audition, which was a screen test. So a year out of college, I was starring opposite the biggest box office draw in the world. He was the first actor to ever be paid $12 million for a movie. Earl, that this, is the short story. Earl, this is your wheelhouse right now. You take it from here, pal. Well, uh, <laughs> Cobra's like my favorite action movie of all time. And I remember when I saw it, it was uh, 1986. It was a double feature of Raw Deal, a Schwarzenegger underrated gym, and then uh, Cobra. And uh, I just fell in love with you as the bad guy, uh, not knowing the backstory of the movie, that it was the original screenplay for Beverly Hills Cop, and that Stallone was like, well, I'm not very funny so let's make it more violent and there is a three and a half hour cut of the movie cobra that got like an x rating that was so violent but i remember when i saw the movie i was like well the bad guy's not in it that much and he's great and there seemed to be some scenes in the theatrical cut that would show you like sharpening the knife and and then it would just cut away uh, you your role in the movie was originally a lot bigger, correct? I can't verify that. I uh, don't remember if much of anything was cut out, actually. I can't think I can't think of a single scene that was cut. Because it just seemed like, uh, I don't know, there were some scenes with you and, the, and your followers when you're clanking the, the axes, but then it just cut away real fast. And it, I don't know, it well, seemed like your character. Well, the, well, Earl, there wasn't anything else written. And, and this was part of the, one of the things that uh, caused me a lot of consternation when I took the part. And I, you know, I, I actually asked for a meeting with, you know, Cosmonos and Stallone to discuss exactly what this group of guys were doing. And uh, I vividly remember the dialogue. This is almost verbatim. So I said, what, you know, what's the goal of the Night Slashers group? <laughs> and Stallone's like, you know, uh, well, basically these guys are doing, uh, they're doing what Hitler, Hitler was doing. He was, uh, you know, he's kind of eradicating the people he didn't like. 
I'm like, uh, yeah, but he was also, you know, collecting their money. It was a systematic machine he built to siphon all of their money into a war effort. And you, you know, you show us right now, we're indiscriminately walking up to this poor nurse and taking her out in this car. And, and the nurse has no linkage to any organization or, I mean, I mean, there's this line that says you can't stop the new world, but what's, what does the new world want? And he's like, uh, I said, well, maybe you could get it. You know, I, I, there was nothing. George, George looks at Sly, Sly looks at George. I love how you're poking and, holes in it. <laughs> and I'm like, and I said, well, how, how about if you got, how about if you showed that we had like some index cards that these people were targeted? And Sly says to George, yeah, George, why don't you get him some cards? <laughs> there, and you've now heard my entire character development discussion <laughs> with George and Sly. And, I, and, and, and I, I, I really would like to be able, you know, I don't want this to be derogatory, but you know what? When you, you know, it was my first big film, first big part, and the last thing that George Cosmata said to me on the set, he, he walked over to me and he looked up at me. He was very short and he chain smoked. Looked up at me and he says, you would have been very good if you would have listened to me on this film. And he walked away. That was George Cosmata saying goodbye. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Would you go up against for this the bad guy? You said there was uh, seven. Do you know any other names? I have no idea. Every every time I went to an audition, I was there by myself. There wasn't another person there. I know they saw a lot of people, but I have no idea. I, I think they were looking for a fresh face because there's no baggage. You know, who is this guy? Where does he come from? Right. You, you don't associate him with another character. Earl, go from there. Well, I heard that on around your fourth audition, uh, you were told that you were too nice to play the bad guy. <laughs> what did you do to like amp up your, I guess, <laughs> meanness? Yeah, you seem like you're, yeah, I remember Stallone telling me, you, you know, Brian, you seem like a really nice person. <laughs> and I, I, I defended it by saying that I was an actor. <laughs> and and that that I'd had enough, you know, evil things happen to me that I certainly have contemplated revenge. And you know, when you flash on revenge, you know, your your brain in an instant can think of an absolutely horrible circumstances that you're never going to to fulfill. But the brain flashes on them; it does. So I said that you know, part of me would enjoy being that violent. And ultimately that wasn't true because I, I was, uh, I had nightmares after doing that part for a long time. It was not, it was not pleasant. And I, I wouldn't do it again. Not, not a chance. Wow. It's just not, it's just not worth it. I mean, you, you got to think that when you do that, when you play that part, in, unless you can, I, I just don't, it's not possible for me to compartmentalize that much, but you're doing everything that that actual psychopath does, except have the original kernel of thought that actually, actually makes you do the action. And your body teaches you things that the brain doesn't teach you, but all the senses are this, that circumstance is the same. You've got the blood on your hands, this, Poor, beautiful nurse is looking at you like you're the devil incarnate. I mean, she's looking you right in the eyes like you are the most evil, scary thing that she's ever seen. And then, you know, after you're done at the end of the day, you're at home and you've got, you got, you know, Dawn dish soap and you're trying to get the blood off your hands because it's got dye in it. And you're in the shower, you know, and it's, it's washing down the drain and it's, it's bloody and, 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 and these things hit you that you, you saw that day. And uh, I, I mean, I, I love our servicemen and this, this should not come off as any sort of, oh, Brian, you should be tougher. But it is a bit, you do get a bit 
of you know post traumatic stress from it because you've been involved in something horribly violent, something that you've never wanted to see in your life. And it's in your face, it's, it's in your skin, it's in your hair and you, I mean, you, you, you smell that girl, you smell the fear and you don't just you know, walk away from that unscarred. I don't, I don't know how anybody can. Well, for, for what it's worth, Earl and I were comics and just hanging out at the comedy store or wherever, we would just recite that movie so it was such an iconic film and we've had great bad guys. We, we've had Ver, Vernon Reed on Kim Coates on the show, but you, I mean, you were fantastic in that for what, for what it's worth. I know it probably brought you some PTSD, but you pulled it off. Great. Like we were like, this guy's the most scariest guy of all time. Well, in the absence of any input from the producers, the writers and the director, uh, I wrote out my own, I, I, the character's name was Abaddon at the time. And I, I wrote out a, a thing that I called Abaddon's credo about what, what he was doing and what he wanted the new world to be. I had a whole, uh, basically it was the, the, the night slashers mission statement. <laughs> I'd like to get my hands on that. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that it is, I don't, I wouldn't have thrown it away. I believe it's a I believe it's in the attic somewhere, Abaddon. And I think I'm pretty sure it's called Abaddon's Credo. But it's, a, you know, I, I saw the movie once, you know, in 1986, and I didn't go see it again because it was, it's too, it's too, too scary for me. Wow. Just, it's, 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 uh, so you were the opposite of me and Earl. Yeah, I've seen it about 400 times. <laughs> <laughs> show, show, uh, show Mr. Thompson your uh, thing that you showed me before the show. Do have a my friend did get me a uh, picture of you. Uh, oh, wow. only the strong survive. <laughs> and that's one of my that's that's I think that's the most positive line that that that, that he spoke. <laughs> when I was trying to find things to write on those pictures, it's like, oh, that's not bad. That line will work. Rather so, than we kill the yeah. week, I didn't. I don't want to autograph. We kill the week. <laughs> oh. Well, you know. You, I'll I'm pay so, for that autograph. <laughs> well, you you know you come from the theater background. You know you were playing piano, but I, I think I talked to um, Martin Cove once, just randomly, and he calls those roles heavies. You you seem to have a lot of heavy roles, like like you played the heavy, the bad guy. Well, that's you know I that's a you know a lot of people haven't heard that term, and in one of those when I was in college, standing in line on the street you know, waiting to audition at one of these auditions that I was just going to, to, you know, slay the dragon. This guy standing behind me looks at me and goes, you know, you know, you know, man, you'd make a really good heavy. And I'm like, what's a heavy? <laughs> you know, the muscle, the guy that the enforcer, the guy that, you know, lowers the boom. Like, and I was like, gosh, that's not very nice. <laughs> I was like, I was kind of like, I kind of felt like he was calling me ugly. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, and then I, you know, I thought about, you know, well, you know, I am larger than average and, and I do have an angular face and, you know, if, you know, being intimidating is marketable. And, and if you could be the most intimidating, you're going to get a job in Hollywood. And so that, uh, that wasn't anything that was, you know, nobody ever mentioned the word heavy at theater school. Oh yeah. You're going to be, we got heavy. I don't know that they, they call those characters heavies on Broadway, <laughs> but it certainly is a, a film and television term. And it's certainly an, a, an engine that is very marketable. And if I was teaching a, an acting school, I would take the guys that had some, some intimidation capabilities and I would, I'd hone them. I want to make you the scariest MF or on the planet. You hear go that, out Earl? There, go out there and get a job. <laughs> but, but I think that's because what... every, every team, every cop show every week needs a guy to get, to get his comeuppance, to be doing something intimidating, horrible, and to meet his, his violent end. And you know, we all have certain types of energies that we give off. And a lot of people 
are naturally afraid of me. Uh, I have had some of the most inexplicable bad reactions from people that make no sense whatsoever. Doesn't happen very often, doesn't happen every year, but there's some people that just have completely taken me the wrong way. That sounds like Earl at the comedy store. Everyone takes <laughs> yeah, them the wrong yeah. way. They weren't laughing. Like <laughs> like, that, well, that's when I start doing my lines from Cobra to get the crowd back. Uh, <laughs> because, Well, I thought you had what you can't, get from an acting class or an acting school is just your facial expressions in Cobra scare the shit out of me. Like even when you're in the elevator with the, uh, the nurse and she's like the service elevator only please remember. And you just shot her a look. You didn't say anything. You didn't touch the knife. And like that stuff you just can't teach. Or can you, can you, well, yeah, I, I think so. When you've got an active inner life, you, you know, when we're speaking our words, we're choosing from this deep sea of, of a million images that, that we're just plucking at random. And one of the things that you teach, they teach you in acting school is to, to reconstruct that person's images and worlds. What, what images is he pulling his dialogue from? And that, that can, that, you know, if, that can be constructed, you know, is, is he being deceptive? Is he trying to be nice? Is he, is he, is he thinking about the time when something violent happened to him? Is he looking forward to uh, something, something happening? I, you know, I just flashed on, I, uh, I auditioned for the, the, the psychopath in the first season of True Detective. Oh. And, and I did not get the job, but I had several callbacks. And uh, the writer-director, God, he's a super intelligent, creative, just wild mind. Ah, uh, uh, it's basically on his name right now. But he said to me, this is it. And I remember this, he said, Brian, I want you to do it again. And I want you, I want you to think that you just killed so-and-so, this character. And every time that you kill somebody, it brings you closer to God. <laughs> well, it's pretty intimidating. Mike, I gotta tell you right now, I don't know what to do with that direction. <laughs> <laughs> but it was wildly creative. I don't know exactly how that's going to manifest itself, but he gave me that direction. Um, anyway, so these are the, you know, these are the things that the wild things that you can put in the, in the backstory in the world and the images that you draw from when you, when you pull out the words or, or just to look at the, the girl in the office, what is, what is actually going on in there? And then one more thing. I'm going to get medical on you guys. I don't know. This is this might be a, a new one. Oh, we have a really dumb audience, so they need to get smarter. Educate. Yeah. OK, <laughs> Google, Google the word lipodystrophy right now. Lipodystrophy. And most likely, I'm the only person that you're ever going to meet in your lifetime that has it. Lipodystrophy. Lipo, L-Y-P-O. L-Y-P-O. And you can have partial lipodystrophy and you can have full lipodystrophy. Full lipodystrophy is really dangerous. That means you, your body doesn't assimilate any fat. But the, I, have, I have partial lipodystrophy. The top half of my body will not deposit fat. It won't do it. And the last place that your body loses fat, as told to me by dermatologists, several of them, I was like a star at a dermatological convention when I was a teenager, is your face. I've got, so you, I, it, this literally is just skin on bones. And if you look at, at Auschwitz victims, they still have cheeks. And every now and then I get to take a compliment for my starting role in platoon. That should cause a, they're like, oh, because people think that I'm, they, they think, oh, yes, maybe that's Willem Dafoe. So I was at a party with Willem one night and I told him about lipodystrophy. And I said, the, the last, 
I told them the same thing I told you guys. And so Willem and I are at this party. You squeezing my cheek, I'm squeezing his cheek. Because he's the only person I've ever seen who I thought maybe would have it. And to my disappointment, Willem Dafoe has cheeks. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I've never met another person that has it. Well, let yeah, me ask you. So when you, you know, look, look here, let's do, let's do a close up here. Look, Brian's, Brian's going to smile. <laughs> look at that. I mean, it just goes, that is more lines and stuff going on. I had to, uh, a lot of the early directors asked me to, you know, sort of tone it down to be, you know. Like you're simple. acting? <laughs> uh, well, just that the face was too active. And then, you know, I wear contact lenses. So had, I had to stop blinking because when you wear contact lenses, you want to blink every three seconds. Well, let me ask you this real, real, real quick, because I, I can't let this go unnoticed. Earl's known for having his shirt off 24-7. Is this a pure coincidence that you have your shirt off? Oh, Earl has his shirt I'll, off. I'll do it out of respect. Well, I, you know what? It's hot here in L.A. today, and uh, I, I, I ran in from outside because I was late because I was actually doing a landscaping job so that I can impress my, my beautiful girlfriend when she gets home. I completely covered this walkway with, with what's called infield mix. It's like red brick. They used to make tracks out of it until all yeah. the track, running tracks were getting rubber. So there's this new, beautiful 40 foot long walkway covered with this nice layer of what they call infield mix. And uh, it was hot and sweaty. And I'm like, I'm just going to get hotter if I leave my, if I put a shirt on. No, but I'm, I'm, so, not, I'm but I am so dirty right now. I don't. That's why. I, that's why. I like, I didn't want to make another shirt dirty. I'm not even joking. Earl has his shirt off 24 seven. It's not. It's not even a joke. It was just a weird coincidence. I was like, is he paying tribute to Earl? <laughs> and, Maybe. Er, and and as a kid, I I didn't want to wear shirts. So Chad, come on, join us. No, nah, you, yeah, you guys. Chad. You, uh, let's Party just say, pooper! Come on, Earl, get him to do it. I know Come I got on. my my Equinox on. hat on, but I haven't been to the gym in a while, so. Come on, it's okay. Man. Listen, from the neck up. <laughs> listen, listen we're not. Come on, let Chad. Me, me, Chad, you're turning it, red. Come, Come on, on Chad. Make, Come on, Chad. This is an Chad. iconic moment. We're gonna have to run with this one. That's right. This is the totally <laughs> irreverent Earl and Chad show. I don't want yeah. anybody in a Reddit board to get mad at me. Okay, so okay. Now go. then, on the count of three, everybody do a muscle man pose. One, two, three. <laughs> come on, come on, Chad. Chad, come on. Join us, Earl. I'm doing it, brother. Oh, oh, you're doing this one. Okay. Oh yeah. Everybody do this one. Like so, all our all our arms are are right angles at the same time. Higher, Chad. Fist closer to your head, Chad. Oh. Closer oh. to your head. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there. Come on, Chad. Do it, pig. Just, just for the record, Earl has a fiance. Just in case, you know, I just want to put this out there. You know, I'm just putting it. Up. All right, here we go. And Earl, I rec <laughs> I recommend having a fiance for the rest of your life. Oh, she's great. And you know, Mr. Thompson, uh, I I've done comedy for uh, twenty plus years. Uh, and I know a lot of famous people, agents, managers, and they've all oh. said, Earl, we love you so much. How can we help you make it to the next level? So you would think I would ask people to get me on The Tonight Show or Conan. I've literally asked all of them to get me that three and a half hour cut of Cobra. I want it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it really exists or is it? How do we My, freeze it? Yeah. Whoa, uh, my, uh, I never thought I'd see the Night Slasher's kitchen. This is wild. Uh, <laughs> I built, I this, hear it, I, I built it this kitchen. I built this kitchen 23 years ago. I built no, nine kitchens in my life. I built nine kitchens in my lifetime. What part of California are you in, Brian? I'm in La Cunada. Ooh. Oh, yes. My sister got kicked out of the uh, high school there in Flint Ridge. Oh, wow. Old Milwaukee. This guy's a man's man. N.A. I don't drink anymore, guys, but I do like the taste of N.A. beer. It's hot yeah. here. Why won't you join me? Like my friend who said, I don't do cocaine anymore. I just like the smell of it. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> That's a Carlin bit. I know. <laughs> uh, 
I just like. Well, let me ask you if we could just circle back one more time to Cobra. Uh, okay. The end scene. Uh, I was watching it the other night, and it seemed like you and Stallone weren't in the same room until he knifed you. Uh, is it true you had to do your most of that scene to someone off screen, like Stallone wasn't there? hundred percent true. Uh, we we shot Stallone's part of it. I was there for all of it, and then we get ready to turn around and do my side, and then, you know, quiet on the set, and I'm like, "Hey, where's where's Sly?" Yeah, uh, he's in his trailer. I said, "Yeah, but we gotta we're gonna do this." He's like, "Um, no, uh, he's not gonna be you're gonna be doing it with a script girl." Literally, like a. PA, like she was like 20, maybe 20 years old, cute as a button, sweet little girl in a coat holding a notebook. And I was like, why can't he be here? And they said, uh, game's on. <laughs> that was nice. So all of that, you know, you want me out there? Was to the sweet script girl. <laughs> and and it's it's like i've learned since that that's like one of the biggest disses that you can do as an actor to another actor is to not be there for their on camera to, to not be to not do your off camera that's like that's a that's a that's an fu and it's uh in my lifetime I think that's the only time an actor hasn't been off screen for me. I can't, is it? I can't think of another person. I mean, I've worked with people that had horrible reputations, Jean-Claude, uh, Oliver Reed, you know, guys that had definitely had behavioral issues. They were off camera. They did their off camera. But is it something like with Stallone, where obviously at that time he's beyond gigantic i think he was just coming off rambo 2 um over the top uh, well it, rocky 4 it, was in the theaters like, rocky like, 4 I, was I, in I the theaters at that time and it was it was breaking box office records uh yeah you know they said to me the game was on so i i, I don't know you know who knows i just think that it's just the climactic scene in the movie and that you might want to be there, make sure it's going okay. Well, yeah, I mean, because in the final, I think your final line is uh, something to the effect of, you'll have to bring me in if you can. <laughs> the court is civilized. And then Stallone pops up out of nowhere and goes, but I'm not. This is where the law stops. Was that like literally the only part of your scene that he came into? Like where he was in the room? Where if, where if he was in the shot with me, but the but the big monologue at the end and the the all the work on the hook, you know, going to the furnace, he he wasn't there. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was boy, that's a lot of air went out of my balloon that night. Yeah, well, let me ask you this: You were killed by two of the biggest movie stars of the '80s. You were murdered by both of them, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Stallone. I mean, that's kind of cool to tell your kids if you have them or or somebody. It's cool to tell anyone. <laughs> you got your heart ripped out or you're punched through. And yeah, the, I think I can. There's I've I've seen some other actors. I don't remember who they were. All the people that they've been killed by. But yeah, I've been I've been eviscerated by Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Van Damme, Steve Martin. Um, golly, who else has knocked me off? Oh, did you get killed in Three Amigos? Yeah, Steve Martin shot me. <laughs> That's pretty. Uh, cool. and, oh, and Dina Meyer, act, you know, axed me in the in the balls with an axe in Dragonheart. <laughs> and uh, I guess, her. yeah. <laughs> and my last line in that movie was by a girl. By a girl, Ugh, right in the crotch. Did David Hasselhoff run you over with Kit? Um, I don't know that he killed. I don't know if he killed me in that one or not. 
I know we were hijackers. I don't remember what happened at the end of that show. Maybe I got arrested or something. Um, I know that he. I know he what arrested. Me, he arrested me on Baywatch. Or... What was that? It, David Hasselhoff arrested me on Baywatch. I was. I was a poaching. I was poaching fish. I was illegally fishing. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty bad. What was that, Earl? I cut you off before too. Oh, no, I was just saying, well, you know, one of your uh, cohorts in Terminator was uh, Bill Paxton. Uh, uh, was that uh, uh, anything out of the ordinary for that audition? It was one audition. I, I love the memory of that audition because nobody knew who Gail Ann Hurd or Jim Cameron were. They were both 29 years old. That's crazy. It was, it was in an office that was big enough to hold a folding picnic table. And a couple chairs behind it, and and a and maybe a little space in front of it. I mean, to this day, I believe it's the tiniest room I've ever auditioned in. And uh, Jim, I auditioned, and Jim Cameron said, "I believe that." They asked me a few questions about what I was doing. You know, we talked about school a bit, and I left. And then I I got offered the job. And then I don't think anybody on the set understood what was in Jim's mind, what, what this movie was going to be. And, and myself included, because uh, you just can't, you can't see that steel armature thing happening at the end. You don't, I mean, who knew that they, that they were going to pull out? That was a revolutionary visual effects. And I remember somebody saying that the movie came out and somebody says, hey, the movie's pretty good. And, uh, a bunch of us went to Man's Chinese Theater to watch it, and gosh, about 15 minutes into it, the thrill of how good the movie was was one of my greatest movie experiences ever that I mean, a really good movie. My God, this is really, this isn't just good. It's really good. That's awesome. Well, it had such a charm to it. Like you could tell the budget wasn't gigantic. Uh, most of the movie was filmed at night. Uh, and, you know, the kind of similar years later to RoboCop didn't have a big budget. And it just became this phenomenon. You were the first person killed in the movie. I think that's pretty sweet. <laughs> the first termination. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah. And I was still in school. Uh, in uh, Irvine, in Irvine, you were still going to school. Yeah, early? I was still in school, and and they uh, one thing I don't I don't know if anybody's ever said, we had to reshoot that scene. There was something that Jim didn't like about the first time we shot it. I think he didn't like maybe he didn't like the background or, uh, but we had shot it at a different place at the Griffith Observatory, and oh, that's where that it was. Okay, yeah, Griffith Observatory, and we had shot it in a different part of it on a different night, and it was a. It was two two weeks, maybe a month later, to say, "Hey, we're going to they're going to reshoot that scene." And they gave me a call. Well, I was at school in a three and a half hour Shakespeare play, Coriolanus, <laughs> and I had a tiny part. And I had found another actor who would go on for me, and the director wouldn't let him go on for me. The director wouldn't go on. He said that if I left and didn't go on, that he'd kick me out of school. Wow. And I'm telling you, this is a tiny part in a college production that they would eject me from school. So they had, my call time was 9 p.m. I told the, uh, the AD the situation, and I said, they said, well, Brian, we've got, we've got somebody here who can fill in for you if you can't make it. And the director wouldn't even let me out of the curtain call. And I'm telling you, I had 17 lines. It was one of the, the banes of what they have at college is that if you audition for a play, you have to take any part they offer you. You have to and take it. You know, I'm a graduate student and I've got 17 lines in a Shakespeare play playing three different parts that they've cobbled together. And you know, it's really, it was almost evil to be cast in that, that small of parts. I mean, in my third year, and uh, 
Anyway, I ran off stage after the curtain call. I parked my car in the loading dock of the theater. I was driving 104 miles an hour on I-5. Jesus. I did not want to lose this job. And I get up to Griffith Observatory. I'm driving. That's a Greek theater. I get up there. Where's AD? I'm here. I'm here. It's like, oh, Brian, we're not going to get to you for hours. <laughs> and, and literally, they ran out of daylight and they built a, a complete tent around us. To, we, it, and the last shot of the movie was my face laying in the blood on the pavement because after you get really bloody, you know, they have, they have to do a redress, they got to clean you up. So that was the very last shot. And I'm laying on the pavement and and Jim Cameron yells, you know, print it. Somebody yells, that's a wrap. And they yank the tent open from around us and just brilliant, bright sunlight just nailing you. Just, oh, wow, tally. And, and the, sun's the sun's up over Los Angeles. You're up on top of that mountain. And, I, and everybody just disappeared like rats. They had all packed up. <laughs> And I'm, I'm covered with blood. You know, they, the blood had run down my pants because they had done that, that move with him pulling his handful, fistful of blood. Yeah. And I'm like, could I get a, a towel? Or... And it just disappeared. And I just kind of walked back my trailer trying to figure out how to get this sticky red Cairo syrup from my nether regions. Yeah. Uh, and it was, just this, it was just this, welcome to Hollywood, kid. <laughs> were you uh familiar with schwarzenegger from conan at the time absolutely i was my first job in hollywood was playing the evil villain taris mordor mm. in the conan live show at universal studios tour oh wow and and so uh uh arnold had even come to you know they had included him in part of the opening because he was tied with universal studios and it was a a live sword and sorcery spectacular that was uh, that ran for 11 years. And I did that job my last year in college. I was able to keep it on the weekends. I, and uh, I still have, wait, wait, pause one second here. Oh, this yeah. Worth, okay, I'm coming right back. No, yeah, right. take your time. It's a podcast. Beautiful. This is uh, uh, the first shirtless podcast ever in the history of podcasting. Uh, <laughs> we are here with uh, Brian E. Thompson, the uh, Night Slasher from Cobra, first person killed in Terminator. Uh, he ordered oh, to take his shirt. Oh, <laughs> Holy. Oh. <laughs> They're actual <laughs> swords. These are the swords from the Conan live show. Oh, wow. I still have them. And they, uh, you have they the survived. Time. They make a great sound. Don't they make a great can, Does that sound come through okay? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like, like the knife. Do you, have the, <laughs> do you have the knife from Cobra? <laughs> so, yes, I'm familiar with Conan and Mr. Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Earl, you had a question on Lionheart, right? I did. I did. Uh, because, and it's kind of a double question. I, I would uh, want to get into the film a little bit, but uh, when I saw Lionheart, I remember as soon as you came on the screen, I was like, Oh, that's the bad guy from Cobra. Do you find after Cobra, whenever you would audition, you kind of, cause you know, it was such an iconic role that as soon as you walked in, it was like, Oh, that's the guy from Cobra. Did that hurt you or help you after the movie? It certainly helped me getting jobs in, you know, kind of the B and C level action adventure movies. Um, I think that ultimately, I don't think a lot of people in Hollywood saw Cobra. You know, people in the industry, um, I find that a lot of them are not, you know, action adventure bound. And so, you know, the, the larger projects, uh, they had no idea about the movie Cobra, but that, but I would say that the movie buffs the people that are, you know, really watch a lot of movies. have seen it. Um, 
it certainly it certainly helped. Uh, you know, like I got a I got a three picture deal with with Transworld Entertainment after Cobra came out, and uh, you know, there, it certainly promoted uh, action adventure filmmaking. But I, I remember, I, like I remember, like, I, I I replaced Chuck Connors on that series Werewolf, mm. and the producers had, had I remember that they hadn't seen the movie at all. They just all they knew of was that I was in a movie with Stallone. And, and then with Lionheart, you know, I, I get the same feeling when I watch that as I did Cobra. It's like God, I wish he was in it more. Uh, <laughs> any interesting? Uh, <laughs> no, I really, because you were so good. Like, you were more in a suit in that movie with the, I guess the blonde lady was the, the technical, the bad guy in the movie, but you were yes. more of her sidekick, I guess you'd say. But, like, uh, I wanted you to be in it more, man. A any uh, wacky stories from Lionheart? Do I have any wacky stories? Well, the, you know, how you, get, how you get these jobs are interesting. When I was in college, I was... I was really, in the graduate program, I, we were always looking for a new material to do ourselves. So we were reading all the time and I got involved in reading a ton of books about Vietnam that I, that I had just escaped that by like two years. And that people had to go through that. It was just, I remember reading Dispatches and a book called Nam. And, and, and there, in Dramalogue, that was a, a paper that at the time, you could read about, and that's where I found out where the open auditions were. And there was a, a blurb in there for jobs that said that these two Vietnam veterans were going to make a short movie about Vietnam. And so I sent them my picture and resume and I ended up in their short movie. Well, that was Sheldon Lettich. Sheldon Lettich wrote and directed Lionheart. Along, as well as Bloodsport, Double Impact, uh, several of the Van Damme movies. So Sheldon, uh, Sheldon gave me that job without auditioning because I had done his uh, short film for him. Not bad. And I, I mean, your resume is so interesting. You've done, of course, a lot of action stuff, but you're also an iconic TV shows like The X-Files, and uh, Star Trek. Uh, I Hercules, don't forget Hardcastle like, McCormick. <laughs> one of my favorite shows as a child. Uh, I did. That was Alien one of the Nation. jobs I had in, when I was in graduate school. And luckily, and that's kind of funny. You know, you talk about timing. There's a quick. This is a quick one. I'm in Ruben Cannon's office for a general interview. When you're young, and first to Hollywood, casting directors will meet you because. You don't really have any film on you. So I was at a general interview at Ruben Cannon's office and the phone rings and uh, it's his assistant saying, hey, the customer really wants to talk to you. And uh, what I realized, so he takes the phone with the customer and they said, uh, the customer called and said, yeah, who's playing the part of this cop on, in scene you know, 47? And he's like, oh yeah, scene 47. And I see him like frantically going through the frantically going through the script. <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah, 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 the cop on 47. Puts the phone on hold and says, Brian, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, could, could you play a cop? Could you play a cop? Uh, and like, yeah, he goes, uh, what are your sizes? It's like, you're 6'2". Yeah, he goes, um, he gets back on the phone with the costume. He says, yes, parts being played by Brian Thompson. He's uh, 6'2", gives him all the sizes right there. What happens in these really small parts, all I did was ar arrest um, Brian Keith. I opened the door and I said, freeze. That was the whole part. <laughs> and when the casting director, you had to break all the parts down manually by hand back then. It would be super easy if all there was was this much of the script to miss a character and Ruben hadn't had missed it. And I was in his office when the call came from the costumer looking for the part. And I got to cover Ruben Cannon's butt because they never knew that he forgot to cast it. <laughs> That's funny how Hollywood works. You get all the weird roles. We're almost about to wrap this thing up, Earl. What are, what are, what are some parting questions? This is your idol. 
Uh, I don't want you to walk away like feeling like you lost something. So what do you got? Uh, well, first of all, uh, I've lost nothing but gained the respect for Mr. Thompson. And uh, I just, from the bottom of my heart, want to say thank you. Uh, but I always like to ask a actor of your uh, longevity in your career, where you've been in hundreds of things, was there one role that you auditioned for, like the role that got away? Uh, you know, because I'm sure you, especially in the 80s after Cobra, were like the go-to, hey, we got to call Brian Thompson for the bad guy. And was, was there anything you missed out on that you look back and say, hey, man, I wish I would have got it? No, the part that really, uh, that really like lit me up and spun my imagination, I got. The part of uh, Sheriff, the Zen Buddhist Sheriff of Key West, Florida, in a TV show called Key West. I, I just was so in love with that character. He, he totally believed that he didn't have, that, that there were no adversaries on earth and that people just needed recentering. So I got to have this wonderfully peaceful headspace and live in Key West, Florida. That there's no, there's no ache for me for the part that I missed. And kind of the same thing like with my, my love life. There's no, there's no girl that got away. I'm, I'm, I'm totally uh, in love with the girl that's been in my life for the past 22 years. Uh, so no, there isn't one that got away. I'm, uh, I, my goal in at, in the MFA program at Irvine was to make a living as an actor. And what happened is beyond the goals that I set for myself in college. It's, it's been absolutely wonderful and that, it, that it got sustained, that it, that it achieved a, a level of financial security is, uh, is, is such a dream come true. I don't, I don't want for anything more. I, 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 I take that back. I would, I, I just got to be, I've got to audition for maybe four A-list movies in my entire career. Like I, I talked to acting classes and I asked them, how many movies do you think I've auditioned for that were nominated for an Oscar? And the answer is zero because you can't get the audition. Mm. And I just got to audition for, you know, the Cohen brothers, you know, Joel Cohen uh, did Macbeth with Fran McDormand. And so I got a part in Macbeth with Fran McDormand and Denzel Washington. <laughs> and, and I would love to be in more worthwhile projects. It doesn't matter what part I play, but when this, when it's a great script, it's just, vibrates your soul and to have uh worked with those guys on on that level i would i would like there to be more opportunities like that i just like to get the uh, give me the audition but you you can't get the audition people don't understand that they're typically they're, they don't have auditions yeah at the end of uh we always have the everyone plug their stuff and i'm looking at your social media now, is your middle name Earl? Because this is Brian Earl Thompson. My middle name is Earl. Holy balls. And dude, dude, and I, I wanted, you know, I debated what should I be Brian Thompson or should I be Brian Earl? Or should I be Brian Earl Thompson? You know, I had an agent at the time that said, oh, let's just go with Brian Thompson. Because there's almost everybody I met knows a Brian, another Brian Thompson. I know another Brian Thompson. So I'm just, I said, you're going to be Brian Thompson, the actor. And that's an easy name for people to remember. So, okay. But I would have, I also would have liked Brian Earl. Well, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I'd take it to another level and just go Earl Thompson, but that's Earl you know, Thompson. Well, that's my brother's name. I mean, it seems <laughs> like it's some kind of weird karma that we're talking right now, but I would also like to plug for you. Uh, many people know how cheap Earl Skakel is. I recently made. And you're a bet. big cheapskate. You're a big cheapskate. Oh, I, you know, I Even though you're a skakel, a legendary skakel connected to the Kennedy family, you're cheap. I could stretch a penny into a dollar, but I spent $109 recently on the greatest investment a man can. And that's a cameo by Brian E. Thompson 
And let me just say, you delivered, brother. Hey, thank you. I I, I love doing those cameos, and I'll I'll put a plug in for that because every penny that people uh, throw my way from those cameos goes to my four favorite charities: uh, St. Jude's, Operation of Hope, uh, Operation Next, and Big Best Buddies. And so, uh, and Milwaukee's best. And Mil- <laughs> <laughs> well, that just keeps me in a kind of a locale fun drink. I'm messing around. Well, I'm going to do another cameo uh, with you because I, the one you gave me was so good uh, that I'm going to do another one uh, this week. And uh, I, I'm not asking you to do anything for free, but right now to end this podcast, I think it would be good if you just looked into the camera after Chad yells action and just said, you won't do it. Will you pig? I'd be in heaven. I swear another cameo for me is coming, but he brought up that okay. brought up nightmares. I, I can do that. And I, I can absolutely do that. And just so you guys know, and I've told this before, Stallone completely directed where to put the lights, what kind of light he wanted, where the camera on what lens to, for the word pig. And told me how to hold the hold the water in my mouth. He said we're gonna we're gonna be backlit. That thing's gonna spray. It's gonna be. I mean, he knew. I mean, he knew. He has a wonderful cinematographic mind for what's gonna be successful. Because that because that that moment of saying that word is what most people remember from the character. And it was because well, of how it was because of the way Stallone set it up and shot it. Well, it, you know, looking back and thinking of that scene now, it was the lighting behind you, kind of that reddish, yellowish hue and the sweat. Or, you know, I'm assuming someone was with the water or maybe you were actually there was flames. Were you really sweating? No, <laughs> that that's was a pickup shot that we did, gosh, two, three or four months after shooting. To just shoot that word. We did a couple other pickup things, but. That he, we were on a soundstage that I don't even think we had shot at during the movie on a completely black background, and that we Stallone wanted to shoot that word just like that. It's a pickup shot wow. months after shooting. Credit where credit's due. Yeah, I, you know, I, what are we doing? Put water in the mouth. There's a light over there. I didn't know. I didn't know it looked so. It, it, so well, and you know what? It might be end up being the most best shot single word of my entire career there it is well, it's, it's just various, the perfect they could be. i don't i i can't remember any other director who's setting up a shot for me just to say one word well yeah. i mean stallone is a gene he doesn't get the credit for uh you know because i think some of his roles like rocky and rambo are i guess you'd say simple-ish characters like uh not dumb but like Clearly, the guy's made a billion dollars. He's pretty smart. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm, I am a fan of the Rocky movies. I am a, a, a huge fan. Those, those movies are so well made and so well constructed. There's a, there's a plot sense that he has, of, you know, about, about characters and how they interact. That is, uh, it's a sense that, uh, not. You know, it's, it's he's a, he's a bit gifted in that area, without a doubt. All right. Well, I could talk to you for all day. Uh, before we do your end line from Cobra, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to do this with us. And uh, Earl, what Chad, do you want to you plug? Wanna, what, what are your plugs? Your, your TV show on HBO Max, Jellies. What else you yeah. got? I'm on the cartoon, the Jellies on HBO Max, and uh, I'm dying up here on Showtime. Uh, roast battle on some show uh some network with the word comedy in it uh but this isn't about me this is about the great night slasher <laughs> so we're in the warehouse stallone's looking for you earl Chad who directed Wolf- cobra who directed i want to play that guy who directed it well um i, I want to say my friend john hertzfeld uh had something to do with the producing of that film he was cho uh he, he didn't have a line in the movie but a uh, little nepotism going on but welcome to the business uh, all right, Chad, you're the director. Here we are in the warehouse. Stallone's looking for you, and go. Action. Uh, 
I'm sorry, I went up on my lines. I, I, is a script girl over there? Cut, cut. I'm so, oh, okay. Sorry, I, I should have. I, I was supposed to have my lines memorized before I came to this set. Lines. Uh, you won't do it. All Will right, you? speed. Action. You won't do it. Will you, pig? Court. I'm supposed That's to say rap. the court is civilized. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Say that one more time, and then I'll come yeah. in with the Stallone line. Chad, you're a real answer. Yeah, he's supposed to. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't, read, I, didn't read, I didn't read the script. So I'll do the Stallone part. Uh, nice. This is a... Here, and I'm going to start it with an acting lesson, okay? And this is the okay. acting lesson. I got this from Stallone. It's like Brian. Down. Like Brian. When, you know, when a lot of, lot of actors that come from the theater, they don't realize that um, you know, the microphone, you know, it amplifies your voice. You don't have to, uh, you don't have to project. And so it's how I get my voice like this. I, I, I clear my throat a lot like this. <clears throat> I want you to speak with just a little bit of volume. Okay, that's how I want you to do this line. So. All right. And action. Action. You can't stop the new world. Can you? Pig. The court is civilized, isn't it? Pig. But I'm not. This is where the law stops. And I start. Sucker. Sucker. Brian E. Thompson. Oh, God. Stage fight. Hit. Punch. Yeah. Boom. I I can die and go to heaven now. You'll be getting a cameo request from me in about two hours, my friend. Oh, (laughs) this could not have gone any better. Could it be a con? Are we done recording? No, I could hit now. Okay, let's let's, uh, let's stop recording, then I'll tell you the stories that I can't tell you. All right, guys. Uh, hey, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, hit subscribe on the YouTube channel, Sit Down Zumok and Inappropriate Earl. Thank you so much. Again, this is The Bad Guys, Volume 7. Good night. <laughs>